Welcome to The Atypical Leader with Rick Brennan, where we talk about harnessing what makes you unique and maybe even a little odd, while at the same time dismantling the notion that you have to be a certain type of person or act a certain way to be an effective leader. I'm definitely a leader, not a follower. I like the sound of this. It's time for us atypical leaders to come out of the shadows and learn to be proud and confident in what makes us different. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I am. Atypical leader starts now. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Happy birthday! Oh Happy God, birthday don't say, don't you. say, don't say, you don't belong say. in a zoo. So things are good. Got all things kinds are really birthday, good. Birthday plans ready for today? Yeah, yeah. My sister's here, as you know, Linda from Toronto. All right, she so got uh, boozing it up. Uh, yeah, we're going out with the girls for dinner tonight. That's code for boozing it up. Yeah, I think I'm going to have a couple of margaritas just in memory of old Jimmy Buffett. Yes, God loved Jimmy yeah. Buffett. Who did, who did love Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, we went to see him live one day. He was great. You're today. a parrot head. No, I'm not a parrot head, no. Okay. But I do like him. But no, I'm not official parrot head. The conversation with Chan was great, wasn't it? Yeah, we learned a lot. We yeah, certainly did. We really uh, did. I yeah. love the concept. As a child goes into a classroom looking at them as an individual different from everybody else, as opposed to this concept where everybody, every child's got to fit into the box has been predetermined. You know, I love that. It's the province in Italy. I can't remember which one, but Bologna. it's a school district. Oh, right, right. It's in Bologna. Women took it over, I think, in World War II. Their philosophy is that they expect every child to be different when they walk through the school door. And another thing is all the parents that have children at this school have to be parents to all the kids. So it's that old saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's what they do there. And can you imagine what it would be like if all education was like that across the world? Today in our conversation with Ochan, we're going to talk about AI, which is clear, artificial intelligence, and how it can help neurodivergent, atypical learning grow. And how the education system must change to keep up with the ever-changing world. Then that's a very interesting part of this conversation. So let's continue our conversation with Ochan. I know you wrote a paper on AI and how that might impact teaching in, in, in the future and, and, and maybe the education of neurodiverse people. I just wonder if you wanted to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I mentioned already that as a, as a group, as an industry, we're very conservative. And right now, the, as I listen to colleagues around the world, there are many who are pushing back against AI and Actually, we've been using it for a very, very long time. Anytime you pick up your phone and you use facial recognition software, that's that's artificial intelligence. Anytime you use uh, Google and you you put in you you type in your calendar and it sends out a reminder to you, you know you're using artificial intelligence. We've been using it in the classroom for years, and it's been very helpful. For years, I remember when my son was in middle school and he was having great difficulty getting his thoughts from his head down to a piece of paper. We used what was called in those days a dragon, dragon something or other. And you could speak into it and it would type out your your thoughts. You had to train it in order to recognize your your voice, your vocal patterns. That's AI. And more recently with ChatGPT, though, there's been this great 
pushback because many times my colleagues feel that it will actually skip over the learning that is necessary. I happen to think differently about that. I don't, I think that if you don't use it for generating content, if you use it as a thinking partner, it can be highly effective. And I'll give you an example for as a teacher. We are there there's only one way to teach writing, and that's to assign writing. But to give feedback, individualized feedback to students takes teachers a really long time. You could ask Chat GPT to give personalized feedback to kids and then conference with kids on that feedback. It's the writing of the feedback that will take them a long time, but talking to the kids will take less time. So that's one way to use it. If you use, if you think that, you know, especially as kids get into the higher grades, they're going to need to read original research. And sometimes that's really hard because academic writing can be very boring for kids to read. And yet, if they take those higher levels of, say, psychology or economics in the last couple of years of high school, they have to re- they have to have access to that research in order to move forward into university and write their examinations. You know, instead of having to read the original, you could ask Chat GPT to, could you give me a summary? of what so-and-so wrote on this particular topic at an 11th grade level or a 12th grade level, and they would give you a summary. So you wouldn't have to read the original research. You could read the summary. I think that in in the past, we used to call them cliff notes. Canada was Cole's note. You you could do that, and it would give you a summary of that. And the other thing is that you could say, well, what might be, what kinds of questions might be on the exam? I need to practice. So you could write a practice examination and say, how would you uh, score? So there are many ways to use AI where you wouldn't be saying, could you write this essay for me? Because that's probably the lowest level. The way you explain that makes all the sense in the world. So you say there's people that don't agree with that point of view? Yeah, they're really worried. Uh, And I think that the worry gets in the way of the hearing, of the listening. They're worried that kids will just feed into chat GPT the essay topic and say, write me an essay like this. And actually, we don't have to worry about that because we can actually feed into chat GPT what a student wrote and just say, can you just check, was this written by AI or was this written by a student? And hopefully... At this time of the year, teachers are getting to are learning their students' styles in writing. That's what we should be doing so that we should be able to learn to know by, say, December, this was written by this student or this wasn't written by this student. Because every one of us has, you know, you called it a a footprint or a a leadership style. People have writing styles. Won't AI get uh, smart enough that it'll say, here's my writing style and produce it in that writing style? You know, you can do that now. You can say, uh, could you give me an essay written in the style of, I, I don't know, could you write me a song in the style of Bob Dylan? And it could do that for you because there is enough of Bob Dylan's work that right. is out there uh, that it would be able to take that and do that for you. But, you know, they wouldn't 
be able to do that for you as an individual because not enough of your work might. I can tell you couldn't do it for me for sure. (laughs) It's like spell check. So often I just do spell check. It just goes, huh? You're going to have to give us a better clue than that. My concern was more of my struggles caused the little wisdom I have. That's where I got it from. It's the mistakes and the failures. And it's those type of things that generated skills. And I just wondered that if you become so reliant on AI, that do you negate some of that? Now, the way you explained it as as learning tools and that sort of stuff makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I think that that you're you're very right. That teachers are worried about kids skipping over the learning part. And yet, I would say that we don't want to stop them from thinking at higher levels because they can't spell. So I had a colleague many, many years ago, and she was a fourth grade teacher, and she wouldn't allow kids to use calculators. She said, they have to be able to do this manually. They have to be able to do this on their own. And I thought, you know, in actual fact, we don't want to stop this child from understanding what volume is or, you know, understanding space just because they can't add or subtract or multiply yet independently or, or, you know, mentally. They can't do that yet. So I thought, you know, let's not hold kids back from being able to think at higher levels. And so I I think that's where the, the difficulty is. Teachers have always had a hard time bringing in any tool that would what they consider to be skip over the necessary learning. Yeah, I I can add and subtract and I can multiply and I can do that all by hand. And I would still prefer to use a calculator. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Well, going back to the AI, I know there's a real problem in high schools that kids are using AI to write their exams, uh, their essays. And it's becoming mm-hmm. quite a, a talked about situation. And I think that's people hear that and right away. They're like, then we can't, you know, it's not good. In in that instance, I would use ChatGPT to write the essay and I I would ask ChatGPT to write three essays, one at a ninth grade level, one at beyond a ninth grade level, one at a sixth grade level, and then give those three examples to students and say, let's pick apart what makes this essay better than the other one? Why does this essay score at this level? And why does this essay score at so much of a higher level? What are some of the differences? Because then you're in involving student thinking, critical thinking and analysis to say, yeah, actually they said it this way. And say you have a student who's, who has a great deal of difficulty writing an introduction you know, because oftentimes when you ask students to write an essay, they say, oh, I know what I want to say. I just don't know how to get started. So you write them a series of introductions on the same topic and say, which ones work? Why do they work? Which one is more persuasive than another one? And then engage their critical thinking because, you know, spitting out an introduction. And and I can speak about this because I have always found writing difficult. I do it, I publish, and it's still hard for me uh, because, and I would say the same thing. I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to get started. But the practice of getting that out and saying, ah, so that's how ChatGPT would write it. Mm, Oh, okay. But I don't agree with that. And oh, I could say this better. 
it actually helps me to think. But do you think teachers have the time to do something like that, to walk through and work on the critical thinking with the students? What they don't have the time for is collecting the examples. When I was in the classroom, collecting the examples from multiple years took me forever (laughs) so that I would have this bank of exemplars, you know, Here's a very, very poor essay, poorly written essay. Here's a a well-written essay. Here's an essay that goes beyond expectations for eighth grade. It took me years to collect those. And sometimes I'd have to write them myself. This is like the evolution. To me, I totally Mm -hmm. agree. Is that thing I think about myself. I mean, listen, I couldn't write an essay and all that. But to sit there and debate, like you're saying, three different essays at three different levels and talk about the critical thinking and what, why we think this way, why we did this, that I would have thrived. That, to me, is more important than getting a bunch of friggin' letters and words on a piece of paper. You know, I think the other part, Rick, is that it would be very respectful of your intellect rather than to say to everybody, uh, get this done, because it would engage your mind in a... In a different way, because getting my thoughts Uh onto a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. for me, was virtually impossible. And if I could, Mm -hmm. then my other skills, my writing, my spelling, sentence structure was so bad that it never made sense. But to sit and to debate. Oh, you're good at that. I'm great at that. But that's that's a skill you use in business. Exactly. Those are the skills you use in a boardroom. You use when you build teams. It's those type of things. You don't sit all around saying, okay, let's all write a report and analyze who wrote the best report. That's not the way life works. It's about critical thinking. It's about creativity. It's about... You know, balancing risk and being prudent. It's all of those type of things that make you skilled in the business world. Well, I know I used to have my sister write my essays. She ended up being a journalist and I couldn't do it. And I'd say, Linda, write me an essay. And she'd write me an essay. It was fabulous. But I still to this day can't write that well. Like I can't get my thoughts from my head onto the paper. But I'm like, Rick, I can talk. Like I would have found that really interesting too. I would have maybe been more engaged in school if they had used something like that. And that's where AI comes in, I think. It can provide the examples for you. It take teachers years to collect from students. It can spit those out in minutes, seconds. No, it's 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 turned by it's given me a lot to think about when it comes to AI. I must say it's it was an interesting uh-huh. conversation. I think but, that where we need to go next, where we really need to think in terms of AI, is its ethical use. And I think that's really where we need to move. First of all, I think that it would be, it's critical in helping kids to think. So we've already covered that ground, but we can ask AI to spit out articles with implicit bias and say to kids, find the bias in this article. Find the point of view in this article. We don't do enough of that yet. But when I say ethical use of AI, you know, we are uploading a lot of things and we're doing it in schools, you're doing it in business, and it's being uploaded into the internet. We're not the only ones doing that. There are bad people out there who are also flooding the internet with thoughts that are not positive, not good for humanity. And those are also circulating Mm -hmm. on the internet. So I think that where we need to go is to debate, where is the data going? How is it being used? What are we, how are we making students vulnerable 
when we use tools like this, because there are people who are being radicalized in in not good ways. In a way, I'm talking about two different things here. We are, as responsible citizens in any society, I think we must use AI because we need to upload onto the internet thinking that is positive and will be good for humanity to counter what is also being uploaded that is not good for humanity. We need support students in determining, uh, in making judgments about discrimination, bias, being able to detect that, becoming more media literate and savvy so that they aren't swayed by bad arguments. And we need to ask tech companies, what's happening to this data? Because every time you open up an account, even as a student, you have to put in your phone number. There's personal data that's being uploaded. Where's that going? How are you using it? I think Europeans are much more onto this with their GDPR. I think I always forget the acronym for this. They're much more sensitive to where's the data going and how do we use that data ethically? And there's also our responsibility as citizens in society to upload good thinking. So one more thing that uh, Ochan really wanted to talk about, if we had time, and I well, think we sure do, we do yeah. um, is that you'd like to think about uh, together how we can make the school-to-work transition easier for young people, to find positions for young people in the workplace. Um, it's often been very difficult for us to place people. As you know, we kind of leave them at the door. Our responsibility, we feel, is on the school side. But I think those transitions, once they leave tertiary level education, or even if they don't get a tertiary uh, education placement, to place them in the real world. Part of that we found in the past is that we've not found partners. That would be interesting for us. You know, I I would like to uh, call uh, in a few examples. The Marriott Hotel chain here in Malaysia in the past has been very good about saying for intensive needs kids, kids with Down syndrome, bring them in. Let's do a program for them. And they put them through uh, many different experiences. They had a few weeks in the kitchen. They had a few weeks with housekeeping. And, and they moved them around the hotel in in different capacities. So that's unusual. That's great. But I'm not sure that's really our focus. Uh, I was thinking about kids with more intensive needs. And, of course, that's not that's not your focus. So no. Maybe I I can call that question back then. Well, I don't okay. know that we could call okay. it back, you but, know. but I mean, we're, yeah. not, we're not in a position to, you know, we're not psychologists and all that sort of stuff to help people with intense issues. But we certainly, there is that whole other side. What about the group of people that are not visibly neurodivergent? How do mm-hmm. we help them succeed in the workplace? Which really comes mm-hmm. to a lot of is that practical application of what I learned in school. How do I now take that out into the workforce? And it could be as simple as how do I take inventory of myself, understand what I'm good at, where my skills lie, then how do I organize my actions to support those type of skills? So is it for me, it was I needed to write things on down on a piece of paper because that got them off my brain's plate. I needed to do this action and that action. I knew I needed to surround myself by with a couple good friends that I could rely on because I know when I felt comfortable, I excelled. You know, I'm sure there's a hundred of these things that say, here are the things that you need to do. Now, every one of us is going to be a little different. 
Everyone's got a different mental footprint. So, but knowing your, knowing what your inventory is, and then to grab those skills and then support those skills with certain actions, I would think would be helpful. Yes, and it's also changing mindsets, isn't it? It's changing attitudes from what you said. Being first of all, being more open to the idea that people work in different ways. And then also giving them, not only giving them the skills to succeed, but also making the environment ready to accept that there will be differences. Yeah. yeah, it's a difficult one. You know, it's, 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 there's a lot of moving parts here. Well, you know what? It's an exciting one too, though. I mean, there's a ton of Oh, definitely. We know as we go through history, it's, it's all us people that have made the changes in the world. It's about time to celebrate that and, you know, and take power in that and stand up, and, you know, and say, yeah, I'm different. I'm unique. Yeah, great. Wonderful. No, 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 you're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one person at a time. One person at a the, time, one yeah. company at a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ochan, it's been great having you on the podcast. It has certainly given us great insights to both AI and how to better maximize the potential of neurodivergent students, regardless of where they are on the spectrum. I hope we can have you back again. So thanks very much. Thank you. Yes, it was very nice of you. And I hope that we can uh, talk some more and uh, maybe even be able to collaborate. Thank you. And and have a lovely evening then. Okay, Okay, you have a good day. So, Rick, do you want to give us a recap? Sure, Judy. I'd love to do that. And I got to say, too, the conversation with Ochan was just simply excellent. And I know that the conversations that we've had have certainly changed my mind on AI. And I would agree that AI needs to be used as an important tool in developing the skills of neurodiverse and atypical students. But the world is changing quick, and it's important to incorporate these advantages quickly or we'll lose out on the opportunity. Let's face it, we'll never come to terms with every negative and positive that's involved with AI. But it's important that we incorporate what we know, what we know that works, and run with the ball. It's really got to be, and Judy, you know, the done is better than perfect approach for sure. Ochan talked about how teachers could save time using various components of AI to do research, allowing them to get focused on things like critical thinking. I know for me, that would have been a game changer for sure. Being able to sit and talk and discuss and look at different examples and have dialogue with the different people in the classroom really would have opened my mind and and would have done a lot to change even my thought process of learning in school. And if I could be bold enough to suggest, and instead of worrying about the negative aspects of AI, the educational system and the business world should adjust their thinking to better take advantage of what AI has to offer, not just with words, but with action. By reassessing curriculums and looking at tools and hiring practices to better take advantage of what AI really has to offer. And well, that's my thinking about that. Have a nice day. See you on our next podcast. Thanks for joining us today and listening to another episode of Atypical Leader. If you haven't already done so, Like, share, and follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. By liking and sharing, you will help other atypicals find all of us. So we can all start to leverage the stories, strategies, and strengths of what make us all unique. Keep listening and remember, take charge and push away those self-doubts. Leverage what we're talking about. Be confident in who you are and proud of what makes you unique. 
So join me, Rick Brennan, and my co-host, Judy Sims, on the next episode of The Atypical Leader. To learn more about us, leadership, and neurodiversity, please go to our website, atypicalleader.com. Thanks for listening. Let's do it again next week.